This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morrell. Brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. When we look for talent, we start thinking about what do we need now and what do we need in the future? This is not just a career, it's a calling. And it is truly a calling to be at CIA. Diversity. How's the agency doing on that front? Diversity is very important to the agency. We are making great strides just having named our first female director. I am proud to say that we have taken the right steps, but we can't rest on our laurels and we still have much more work to do. Welcome to Intelligence Matters. I'm Michael Morell. Because of the COVID-19 outbreak, We here at Intelligence Matters are trying to do our part at social distancing, and we are not taping in the studio for the time being. We are making progress on remote taping options and hope to be taping new episodes again very soon. In the meantime, we're going to bring you what you, based on your feedback, have considered to be our best of episodes. For each of those, we will add some commentary to keep it fresh and up to date. This week, we are pulling from our archive an episode we released on July 10th, 2018, with CIA's top recruiter, Sharonda Dorsey. I asked Sharonda to come on the show in 2018 because so many college students and so many young professionals ask me, so how do I get a job at CIA? In the interview, Sharonda answers not only that question, but many others about the agency as well. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Sharonda, it is great to have you on the show, and it is fantastic to see you. You know, I have many, many fond memories of my time at CIA, and working with you is very high on that list. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the invitation. You probably don't know it, but you are a rock star. When I have asked folks who I should have on the show, by far, 
the most frequent answer I get is the head of recruitment at CIA. And when I spend time on college campuses, the most frequent question I get is, how do I get a job at CIA? So this is perfect. It's perfect to have you here. But before we get to all things recruitment um, at CIA, let me ask about you, right? Because the other thing that people are interested in is how does somebody go from one part of their career to another, right? They're fascinated with that. So take me back to high school and college. How did you get interested in international affairs? Wow. Actually, it started in college, and my undergraduate focus was actually international affairs. So that was the impetus for me looking at um, a career in public service, and both my parents were in public service. What did your parents do? My mother was with social services, and my father worked for state. Okay. And interestingly enough, it was at a recruitment event that I actually found out about CIA and did more research and decided this was the career for me. I really focused on the importance of the service, and when I talked to the recruiters there, that's what they talked about the global mission, and the service, and protecting the nation. And it just seemed like it was the right fit for me at that point in time. And you started out as an analyst. Yes. Right, on the Soviet Union. Yes. So how did you go from being an analyst in the Soviet Union to being the head of talent acquisition? Wow. It was quite a journey. And a typical typical journey, or atypical journey for um, many at the agency, but I've had so many opportunities afforded to me. Started as an analyst and decided I was interested in the resource management piece, stepped into the resource management field. Others opened doors for me in the business arena. So I started doing the business of intelligence, if you will, in our support directorate. I had the opportunity to go back to school and obtain my MBA and was able to directly apply those skills when I returned back to the agency. The first job was helping to stand up a leadership development program at the organization. I remember. Yeah, I remember. great opportunity. <laughs> Followed by one of my favorite assignments, which was running the motor pool. No one ever thinks about CIA having an actual motor pool, but it was one of my best assignments. Following that, I did a stand. Why, why? It was a, actually running a business. It's a non-appropriated entity at the agency, and we have several of them. Um, it was so you have a cost structure, and when you do something for an exactly. office at the agency, they have to pay for it. Exactly. So, and you've got to make sure that you cover your costs. Yes. So having just left or just finished my MBA program, it was the perfect opportunity to apply those skills, running that business entity, making sure I recovered, fully recovered my costs, managing a workforce, and really working with that workforce to link them to mission. Mm -hmm. So it was a phenomenal opportunity for me, and I truly believe set the course for my future assignments. I did my first stint at the recruitment center following that, hiring for our support element, and another favorite assignment followed that, and that was managing our administrative cadre across the agency, which was a challenging job, but it was phenomenal and absolutely rewarding. And that's when I began to really understand my true passion, my true calling was related to the investment of people. 
And from there, I had a couple of other assignments. And now I am the chief of talent acquisition, bringing on the new, the future talent of our organization, and, which is exciting. And, and people are everything at CIA. People I mean, are everything. We talk everything. about technology, but at the end of the day, people are everything. Yes. So we couldn't accomplish our, glo- yeah. our global mission without our people. So let's talk about recruitment. Lots of questions. Let's start with what are you looking for? Well, when we look for talent, we start thinking about what do we need now and what do we need in the future. Given our global mission and the ever-changing requirements based on the global environment and what's happening, we are always looking for a diverse set of individuals that cross all sectors, come from different backgrounds, and what we're truly looking for are those committed to mission who have a passion and desire to serve the country and will be committed to the mission of the agency. Obviously, and that's all, been a constant that over has time, been a right? Constant. You talked about your own experience. That was certainly true of me. That's been a constant. It has been a constant. That has not changed. Our, our new director mentioned in her swearing-in ceremony that this is not just a career. It's a calling, and it is truly a calling to be at CIA. And just as I was recruited on campus and I knew that was the place for me, many people just know that this is the place for me because of their desire to serve mission. Have the needs, parts of the needs changed over time? We're always evolving, um, again, based on what's going on around the world, but we're still looking for ops officers. We're still looking for analysts. We're still looking for those that have the business acumen to help carry out the foundation. We're still looking for the technologists that that come in. Very much at the forefront of what we're hiring today, um, we're looking for people that bring language skills across the board, regardless of, you know, what their technical competencies are. We're also always looking for our ops officers. And as you can imagine, what is key these days are those that bring, that are STEM, within the STEM community, but also the cyber analyst, the cybersecurity analyst. And that is a very difficult area for us to actually recruit in. Why? Just because it's a new field, relatively new field, not a lot of people out there bring these skills and corporations, other government organizations are competing for the same talent that we're Mm -hmm. looking for. When you're talking to folks about a career at CIA, what's your pitch? What do you tell them why they should work there? I tell them, and I I use myself as an example, I always have said, this is not a job, this is a career. But now I see this truly as a calling. You step beyond your boundaries, you're always out taking risks. You're always doing something different. It is an opportunity for adventure, but it's, a, it's an adventure that you can't find anywhere else. You find yourself going to places you never envisioned yourself going and doing things that you've never envisioned yourself doing. And for me, more importantly, what I have found is not only the importance of mission, but I found a family yeah. that, comes, that come together Um, regardless of what's going on, to support each other. And because of our mission, a lot of times we can't share a lot of things with other people, but we all have each other. And that connectivity, that engagement has been very important for 
from me as well as many of my other colleagues. One of the questions, I mean, for me, the, the two things for me at the end of the day were a deep, deep, deep meaning in the work you were doing, right, to keep the country safe. And the other was that sense of family. Yes. Very powerful. Yes. One of the questions I get asked a lot is, is it possible to have a family life, right? You, you, this, is, this is not a job. It's a career. It's not a career. It's a calling. Yes. Right? Uh, is it possible to have a family life? Yes. Family is definitely important within the agency. And again, as we take care of each other, we also take care of family. And we allow time for those family activities. We look for the work-life balance piece, but we also try to keep families intact to the best of our abilities. And making sure that the families understand, to the extent possible, the service that we're rendering, but also thanking and appreciating the family for the sacrifices they do make for allowing our agency officers to do what they do. And you find ways to do that. Oh, of course. Of course. Okay. Take us through the recruitment process from start to finish. Okay. So let me just start by saying it's a very extensive process given the requirement for a security background and the need to have clearances. So the first step is to apply on www.cia.gov. And we are very much focused on the whole person concept. So we look at every application that comes across. And Can you say how many you're getting these days? It's over 50000 a year. Okay. In looking at a resume, we have recruiters who make assessments based on whether an individual actually meet the necessary technical skills that we're looking for. If so, we then send the individual applicant testing And the testing is an assessment of competencies, problem solving, how well an individual writes, and so on and so forth for each respective occupation. And if getting beyond that point, then we actually have an in-person interview. Very exciting. This fall, we're actually going to start virtual interviews, Mm -hmm. getting away from the in-person or somewhat away from the in-person. But bring the person in, engage them, and determine is this the right fit for the individual? But it's also an opportunity for the individual to decide whether it's a right fit for them as well. And if so, then we issue what we call a conditional offer of employment. And basically, it is an agreement between that individual and the agency that if you make it through our security process then and medical process, then we will bring you on board to serve as an employee with the CIA. Next step, once we get that information back, we process it is actually the scheduling of the medical and polygraph. And following that will be the background investigation. The process at this point in time can take anywhere from nine months to 18 to 20 months, depending on the extent of travel, whether you've done a lot of overseas travel, have a lot of foreign contacts, and so on and so forth. We do require our applicants to be U.S. citizens, And we also ask that they be willing to move to the Washington, D.C. area. So are there automatic disqualifiers? Yes, there are. Um, We have several automatic disqualifiers. So we actually have information sessions. So when we bring applicants in for their interview, we have an information session where we talk all about the agency and all about the process that the applicant will go through. At that time... We advise all applicants, do not use drugs from this point forward. Do not download illegal materials from this point forward. 
if during the process from that point forward an applicant does so, then they will be removed from the security process. Also, if an applicant is in the midst of a criminal background investigation or has a felony record, those are automatic disqualifiers as well. And this this length of time it takes, right? You, you know, the, the entire time that I served on the seventh floor, which was, I think, seven or eight years, we were trying to shorten it, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, never quite got there. Is this just something that, that we need to accept, or is it something you continue to work on, or how do you think about that? I am actually actively working that. We are actually looking at technical solutions to actually shorten the process. So as we look at that, we're looking at how we can infuse technology at each step or within each step of the process. So in particular, we have just released our CIA applicants tracking system, the first iteration, and which is in pilot stage. By October, we will actually have all applicants post-COE submitting their security paperwork, their medical paperwork through that system. We have significantly reduced the processing time having done that, and we've actually seen someone clear as short as six months. Mm. But that is not the norm. So just to be clear about that. As we continue to release more iterations of that, we see us reducing the processing time even more. On the security processing front, we're looking at how we can use artificial intelligence and other technical means to actually do some of the work that will shorten the process. And our goal is to get below 345 days. But the bottom line, right, as you know, I know this, the security part of this is extraordinarily important. Oh, it is, um, it is extremely important. And uh, um, the other factors we have to consider, insider threat. Right. We want to make sure that the people that we're onboarding are trustworthy and that they're suitable to work in the agency. What we don't need is to bring someone in that we have not clearly vetted and poses an internal threat, not only to the organization, but to the nation at large. Right. Talk a little bit about the level or the amount of communication between you all and an applicant as they go through the process. So we have recruiters that stay actively engaged with the applicant early on in the process up until interview. After the interview, we actually have program managers actually reaching out reaching out every 45 days just to let the applicant know that they're, they actively remain in process and that if they have any questions, we're there to support you. As we're looking to the future, we're looking at actually having agency officers actually adopt applicants that are in the process to stay in contact, to ensure them that processing continues, and also to answer any questions that they may have. Towards the end of the process, as people start to onboard or have a scheduled date to onboard, we have people from the respective offices reaching out to those that have been hired to talk about moving to the area or what to expect when you first come on board. So two questions I get all the time. One is um, social media, right? Yeah. If I'm interested in working at CIA, how should I think about social media? Many of the agency employees are on social media. So the one thing that we do say you can have a social media presence. Um, you should always be mindful, whether you're applying for, to CIA or, or somewhere else, about what you post on social media. But if you're specifically applying to CIA, 
You should not be posting that you're coming to visit CIA or that I'm interested in CIA. There should be no affiliation with CIA. You should take a picture of yourself with a CIA sign in the background. take a picture of <laughs> any of our buildings in the background right. of importance. When people are going through the process, early on they don't know whether or not they're going to be undercover. So what we don't want is a social media footprint or any type of, of footprint that will indicate that you will later become a CIA right. officer. Right. But if you have absolutely no social media presence, right, you kind of stand out a little bit too. So there's You do. Yeah. You do. Although yeah. there are those even internal to CIA right. that right. have no social media footprint. Right. But I, I would say if you apply to us and you have a social media page, don't just shut it down. Yeah. You know, just continue to post as you would post. Just don't post anything about CIA. Yeah. So another question I get all the time is travel. Right. Yes. Travel overseas. I'm really interested in working at the CIA. You know, should I travel overseas or shouldn't I travel overseas? Oh, yes. You're more than welcome to travel overseas. Absolutely. We actually look for individuals who understand other cultures, who speak different languages. Who are interested in the world. Who are interested in the world and exploring the world. So absolutely, that is foundation for CIA. Um, We have, our mission is a globally focused mission. So you should travel overseas and better understand different cultures, if possible, pick up languages, and so on and so forth. Does it make the security processing more difficult? It absolutely does. So there's a tension there. There's a tension there. So you're a much more competitive person or applicant. However, there is that tension with the security processing because they're going to look at why you traveled overseas? What was your purpose in traveling overseas? Did you establish any foreign allegiances that you should not have? The important thing about that is up front when you do the security documentation is document all your travel, all the contacts that you've made there and any type of relationships that you've had or that you maintain with individuals. So, uh, Sharonda, with all that in mind, what makes a candidate stand out? Maybe that's a tough question. Yeah. It depends on the occupation. But things that we're very much focused on is we look for judgment or use of sound judgment. We look for those that are trustworthy. We look for those, again, that have shown dedication. So when we're looking at applications, we're looking at those variabilities. So we're looking for applicants that are suitable to our mission. Obviously, the technical competencies are very much important. However, we do train all of our officers when they come on board to do our mission. But we look at your proficiency to learn in specific areas as well. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with more from our July 2018 discussion with Sharonda Dorsey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Diversity. Yes. How do you define it? Why is it important? 
how's the agency doing on that front in two respects, right? Generating applications, right? And then getting them through the door, Mm -hmm. getting them hired and through the door. Mm -hmm. Diversity is very important to the agency. We have focused on diversity and inclusion for many, many years, and we are making great strides and progress. Um, Just having named our first female director was fantastic. a huge step. Fantastic. Um, and absolutely exciting for our agency workforce across the board. But as we look at diversity and inclusion, with our global mission, we need diversity. We need to be inclusive across the board because when we're working with other cultures and engaging people of other cultures, that is a part of diversity. As we look internal to CIA, we, much like many other organizations, we still have work to do. But I am proud to say that we have taken the right steps. We've made great progress. As it relates to specifically hiring more diverse candidates and being inclusive, we still have work to do. I I will readily acknowledge that. Um, We do well in some occupations, not so well in other occupations, but we have a robust undertaking to really focus on how do we attract more, more diverse candidates. We recently established what we call our signature schools. So we have five signature schools that have diverse populations in which we have a more targeted approach. So high levels of outreach, high levels of engagement, And we're spending much more time on those college campuses, working with the professors, working with the staff to really build up a pipeline of diverse applicants. Sharona, can you talk about your own experience as a woman at CIA and as a minority at CIA? Hmm. Yes. I came in, when I came into the agency, it was late 80s, 1989, actually. At that time, very few women in my field as an imagery analyst, very few young people because they had just started hiring in that area, as well as very few black women. For me, it was interesting in that um, as soon as I finished my training as an imagery analysis, I went to a gentleman to ask a question, senior analyst, who made a comment to me, I should have known you wouldn't know the answer to that. So I questioned, did he say that because I'm young? Did he say it because I'm black? Or did he say it because I was a female? So I set off on a journey to ensure no one ever said that about me. How did he react? How did did he react? He didn't react. And I made it a point for myself not to react. I took it on board. And I never had any anger or angst against that person. But I always questioned what was his intent? Mm-hmm. And not knowing, I, I didn't want to, again, be angry, be frustrated, and hold on to something. But I set out to prove him as well as others wrong. So if they looked at me and judged me based on my gender or my age or my race, I was very much focused on setting a standard that I was just as good as anyone else. And that has followed me throughout my career. 
So have I had... Served you very well. It, it has served me well, but that did not negate comments being made related to gender, comments being made related to my race. What I have learned is that people respond to you based on their own experiences. So my overall focus now is to give people a different experience so that they're judging me based on me as a person and not based on how I look or things they may have heard about me. And I should say that every organization, right, on the planet is going through this journey, right? Yes. CIA has made tremendous progress. Significant progress. And several years back, we did several studies, one focused on women, Mm -hmm. in which we really focused on women truly moving beyond that glass ceiling. Secretary Albright ran that Ran that, and we've made significant progress. That followed with the diversity and leadership study and looking at having more diversity in our leadership ranks. And Mr. Vernon Jordan actually led that effort. So we have made significant strides as an organization, but we can't rest on our laurels, and we still have much more work to do. Um, In addition to recruitment, Sharonda, you're also responsible for onboarding. Yes. Now, what does that mean? What does that entail? You know, when I started in 1980, onboarding consisted of throwing you into the deep end of the pool right, and walking <laughs> away. So I imagine it's a bit different now. We're a little bit more sophisticated <laughs> these days. <laughs> we got rid of that pool. Um, we are very much focused on seamlessly transitioning our new officers into the agency. So I have a team that is in contact with our new applicants and or our new hires at that point to let them know this is what to expect and start working with them to plan their moves, start working with them to schedule them for our new employee course. We bring them in and for two weeks, they're sworn in early on the first day, but then for two weeks they're together and they're new officers from across the agency. So they come from every directorate. So we're looking at bringing them in, letting them understand the agency writ large, understanding the directorates within the agency and the overall agency structure, but also starting them to network and get to know each other early. And then connecting them with people in their offices so that they can start building rapports and relationships with those with whom they're going to be working. So we're looking at now bringing in people and inculcating them into our agency culture and helping them start out being successful. We also look for mentors to be assigned to them, to work with them. Students, we, we do have a large student population that come back every summer So we try to have them housed together. We have them in classes together. So we're building those relationships. We're building that camaraderie very early on. Sharonda, just one more question. What's the greatest misconception that you see that folks have about working at the agency? Mm. Maybe there isn't one. No, there are plenty of them. I think there might still be a bit of a misconception about being a member of the LGBT community and are you really welcome at CIA? Yeah, I would say that is a great misconception. As I talked about inclusion, we're talking about embracing everyone. 
regardless of your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, and coming together and uniting as one to carry out the mission, our global mission as an organization. We have made so many strides as it relates to how we engage, manage, work with the LGBT community. And the reality is we have many people in the organization who belong to the LGBT community, who are welcomed and who are embraced and who are part of that agency family. We have different, what we call ARGs, agency resource groups, focus on different communities within the agency, one being LGBT. And it is one of the most active in the organization. Um, It does a lot of outreach, has won significant awards within the larger LGBT community. So that is a huge myth. And it's important that we dispel that because we welcome people from all walks of life. Sharonda, thank you so much for joining us. You have an extraordinarily important job to make sure that the, the agency has the best and the brightest. And I know that's happening. People ask me, do I miss it? And I say absolutely every day. And what I miss is the mission yes. of keeping the country safe. And I miss the people yes. right? because the people are fabulous. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. That was an interview with Sharonda Dorsey from the summer of 2018. As I re-listen to this episode, and as I have thought about what has transpired over the last several weeks, I was struck by three things. First, intelligence, which before COVID-19 was of great importance to keeping the country safe, is even more important in the age of coronavirus. That is because there are national security implications from the COVID-19 outbreak that could well turn out to be as consequential as the public health and economic implications. These national security implications include China's effort to use the crisis to make major gains in its international influence, likely coming economic, financial, and political instability in a number of emerging market countries, a reinforcing of the already existing trend toward authoritarianism, as well as many others. We're going to make sure that we deal with all the national security implications of coronavirus in future episodes of Intelligence Matters. Second, given the importance of the work, CIA and the rest of the intelligence community continue to work. It is essential, and it is considered as such. And unlike many other jobs, it cannot be done online from home. The work, because it involves classified information, requires intelligence officers to go to the office, putting themselves and their loved ones at risk. Actions have been taken to protect the most vulnerable, and the workforce has been broken into rotating shifts, with one working and the others at home. But because they are going to work, intelligence officers are facing more risk than most of the rest of us. It is just another example of the sacrifices that intelligence officers make. And third, and most relevant to this episode of the podcast, CIA late last week told CBS News that the agency continues to recruit and to hire new employees. There has been no hiatus in either. I would imagine that the process of receiving a job offer and getting a security clearance will take even longer than normal, but it is still possible to successfully find employment at CIA. I hope you enjoyed this best of episode of Intelligence Matters. Please join us next week. I'm Michael Morrell. This has been the Intelligence Matters Podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morrell. 
Brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. The podcast is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, and Jake Rosen. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you download podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Intel Matters Pod and follow Michael at Michael J. Morrell. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News Radio. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus starting May 1st.